This message by Zach Varnell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Zach serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Thanks for being here. You can go ahead and uh, open your Bibles to James chapter 3. And if there are anyone, anyone here who needs a Bible, doesn't have a Bible with them, we'd love uh, for you to have one. You can just raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you a Bible. Uh, James chapter 3. We're going to be continuing our series on James today. James 3, starting in verse 13. This is God's holy word. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Who is wise? Who is understanding among you? It, it's, it's like, it's like a, a summons call. Who's wise? Let's see it. Let's see you prove it. Who actually has understanding? That's what James is asking this morning. And as James tells us, it's not about what you say or what you boast in or what you claim. It's how you live. The proof uh, is in the pudding. Kind of like last week. The proof was in the literal pudding. Now, if you're a guest uh, with us last week, we had banana pudding after the service, and it proved a couple of things. It, it proved the excellence and the care and the love with which our hospitality team serves us. They are incredible people. It also proved that this church loves banana pudding. Those coolers were emptied very quickly, and I saw one very sad sight, a kid walk out there, open the cooler, see that it was empty, and just kind of stand devastated. It proves some things. Well, in a similar way, in our text this morning, James is holding out something for us to see. He's holding out what genuine wisdom from God actually looks like. What does it produce in our lives? And then right next to it, He's holding out the wisdom of the world and what it produces. And in holding th these things out to us, he's calling us to discern, to look and see the proof of true wisdom. It's in the pudding. It's in the effects that it has on our lives. Now, we, we all need wisdom. I need wisdom. I am a young dad. We've got a daughter that we, we celebrated her first birthday yesterday and our next one's due in a month. So I need wisdom. Me and my wife, we need wisdom. You need wisdom. I know you do. 
the different situations, circumstances you're in, and your, your jobs, your families, your relationships, life situations where you don't know what to do. You, you need wisdom. And what I believe God wants to do this morning through this text, I think He wants to encourage our desire for and our pursuit of godly wisdom. I think He wants to encourage our faith that He'll give it to us. John Piper says that there's no better joy than what comes through wisdom. No better joy. The proof of wisdom's worth, it's in the pudding. The wisdom of the world, it brings disorder, but God's wisdom brings peace. And isn't that what we desperately need, each, each of us? Main point this morning, primary call this text has on our lives is humbly receive and enjoy the peace that God's wisdom brings. Humbly receive and enjoy the peace that God's wisdom brings. And two points. Firstly, number one, there is a, quote, wisdom from above. Verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is something else. And we need to be warned about it. Throughout this letter, James has been warning us about multiple things. Warning his readers, calling them to evaluate their faith. He's after the real thing. Do you have genuine faith? If you do, it's going to show itself in your life. It's going to show itself in your works. It's going to count it joy even in trials. It's going to not be partial towards people based on how much money they have. It's going to seek to control your tongue and, and use it to build other people up. It's going to seek to apply God's Word, not just hear it and walk away. He, he's dispelling the myth that faith is simply intellectual assent. It's not. And just like true faith is actually demonstrated, true faith is demonstrated by good works, so true wisdom, it's demonstrated by a humble life. Now, what he's not doing in our text, and, and what we're not going to leave this morning with, is a list of good wisdom. Here's just a bunch of good wisdom you could take home with you, and here's bad wisdom, and you take this chart home, and, and you live based on it. That's not what he's doing. What he's doing is he's given us a picture of what does it produce in our lives? What are the effects that it has? So who is wise? Verse 13, by his good conduct, let him show it. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. This is the truly wise person. So the warning he brings us this morning is against selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. Now, in the context, he probably has uh, teachers and leaders of the church particularly in mind, but of course, this applies to all of us, doesn't it? He's addressing their hearts. He's addressing our hearts this morning. If you claim to be wise... If you think you are wise and there is selfish ambition and boasting and envy in your hearts, you're proving yourself not to be wise at all. For the Greeks in the cultural context of, of this letter, meekness or humility, it, it was considered a weakness. It was a character flaw in a person. And, and I think perhaps it's largely still true today to be genuinely humble. To be a genuinely humble person 
you're going to be thought of as unimpressive or a pushover. But Jesus, whom James loved very much, Jesus taught that it's the meek that will inherit the earth. He redefines. Grant Osborne, in his notes in the ESV Study Bible on this text, says meekness comes not from cowardice or passivity, but rather from trusting God and therefore being set free from anxious self-promotion. But the worldly idea of selfish promotion, it had had penetrated the church that James was writing to, and the leaders had been influenced. So James comes and confronts them. No, no, true wisdom. It will not be manifest in your arrogant boasting. It's manifest in genuine humility, in meekness. In fact, your selfish ambition and envy proves you are not wise. You lack genuine wisdom. You're false to the truth. It's a walking contradiction. A couple weeks ago, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that was titled, Competitive About Your Meditation? Relax. Everyone else is too. And Al Mohler, the president of Southern Seminary, on his podcast called The Briefing, he talked about this article, and he talked about how crazy it was, how contradictory it was. People are stressed out. They are anxious about keeping up their meditation. So there are social media apps which allow you to log your daily meditation and people can follow you and they can keep updated on how often you're, you're meditating and people build up these streaks, these daily streaks of how long they go every day meditating and other people can see and so it breeds this competition and people have even admitted to lying about it. They log it anyway even if they've not meditated just to keep up this competition, keep their streak going. One guy who was in the lead, I guess, on one of these apps, he had a streak that lasted hundreds of days. And he was in the lead, and one day he had too much going on, or maybe he forgot, who knows. But it got close to midnight, he realized he hadn't logged any meditation that day. So he spent 10 minutes meditating so he could log it. And he he admits the whole 10 minutes he was just anxious about losing his streak. The point is, it's a contradiction. It's funny. It's hilarious. It it misses the point of what they say meditation is uh, to begin with. So, well, so is a form of wisdom. So is a form of wisdom that has behind it a heart of sinful ambition or any kind of envy. Kent Hughes, another commentator, says that there can be no wisdom apart from a quaking, fearful vision of God and our own contrasting littleness. That's why Proverbs 1 says the beginning of wisdom, really, it's the fear of God. That's the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is knowing the holiness of God and yet our sinfulness and our distance from Him in our sin. It's living and operating under the reality that God exists. That's why it must lead to humility. Proverbs 11 says with the humble or with the lowly is wisdom. You cannot be wise and be self promoting. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. This, it's, this progression, it's meant to shock us. It's meant to strike us, get our attention. This is worldly wisdom. It's not humble. It's arrogant. It's not from God. It's earthly. It's, it's actually godless. 
It's unspiritual. It's not rooted in the spirit. It's rooted in the desires of the flesh. Even worse, it's demonic. It finds its origin in Satan himself. This is not the wisdom from above. This is, this is wisdom from below. And hearing the warning, uh, hearing and understanding when these things are in our hearts, selfish ambition, jealousy, it, it means we're operating under a godless worldview. Now, selfish ambition and, and envy, they make sense in a world where God does not exist. Because if God doesn't exist, of course, i got to do whatever I can to get what I think I need. Whatever means necessary. I have to take care of myself. But, but, but James is writing to Christians. And for Christians, it doesn't make any sense. It's worldly. And look at what it leads to. Verse 16. This is kind of God to reveal this to us. Verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist there will be disorder and every vile practice. Hear the warning. It's a big deal. James, James is holding out a picture of what this false worldly wisdom ultimately leads to. You, you might think somehow that, that jealousy or, or ambition is somehow going to set you up for success. It's going gonna, it's gonna to advance you. It's going to lead you to prosper. It's going to somehow make things better for you. Or, or maybe you think that you, your sinful or selfish ambition or envy are just not that big of a deal. God's kind to open ours and see, no, no, it's going to lead to disorder and every vile practice. God's given us his word so we can be discerning. Envy is the enemy of the Christian life. It is the opposite of grace. It wants to grab and grasp instead of give. It leads to all manners of evil, boasting and quarreling, criticizing. It prevents us from loving one another. Ambition is divisive. It's a restless evil. It's never satisfied. It seeks position. If these things are happening in our hearts and in our church, it's going to lead to disorder. And we're proving ourselves to be foolish. So God's warning us. In his mercy, God is warning us. In his kindness, he's warning us. James's readers needed this warning. We do too. We need it today. James, he's holding it out. He's pastoring us so that he might lead us to something better. And before we move on to what that better thing is, I, you know, I don't think that our church is in the same place that James' audience was. Uh, the, the more we read this letter, the more we realize there's clearly trouble and dissension uh, going on in this church community. There was harsh talk and partiality and double-mindedness, anger, hypocrisy. There was conflict going on. I think we as a church, we are experiencing the wisdom of God. I think we're prospering uh, and enjoying the wisdom that comes from above. But, but I do think we would be wrong to assume that we are immune from the world's influence and from the influence of worldly wisdom. I mean, after all, this isn't God's word for a reason. Every day we wake up to a spiritual battle, like Bill was talking about during communion, every morning. So we have to fight. So where, where do you see these things in your own heart? Selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, maybe even in subtle ways. Where do you see it? 
We should heed the warning and be vigilant to put these things to death. Here, here are some, some, some specific practical questions you can ask yourself. Do you find yourself wanting to have all the right answers when someone comes and asks you for advice? How important is that to you? Do you, do you have a hard time saying, I don't know, or pointing them somewhere else? Do you, do you confess your sin in, in ways that, that makes it look less ugly than it actually is? Do you sense any kind of rejoicing at other people's failures? Especially if they're failing at something that you wish to achieve yourself? Do you ever not rejoice when, when someone gets honored from the front or gets drawn, attention is drawn to them? Do you ever feel like you're not being recognized as you should be? For leaders specifically, because I think James has his mind on leaders in a specific way. So community group leaders and ministry team leaders and deacons and the pastors, why do you serve in the positions you serve? Do you want recognition? Do you want just to be well thought of? Are you grasping for a position? Is there any sense of one-upmanship with the people you serve with? Is there competition? If these things are going on in our hearts, there is so much potential for, for damage to the church. God's kind to reveal this to us and lead us away from it. There is no place in the church for such things. Thomas Watson, the, the Puritan pastor in Godly Man's Picture, he wrote, a humble man is willing to have his name and gifts eclipsed so that God's glory may be increased. He is content to be outshone by others in gifts and esteem so that the crown of Christ may shine the brighter. He is content to be laid aside if God has any other tools to work with which may bring him more glory. That's what we want. That's what we want operating in our hearts. We need the Lord. We need God to change us, to convict us, and to change us. And gratefully, that's what he does. And he's pointing us even here to something better. The world says advance yourself, but Jesus says deny yourself. And it's going to go so much better for you. There is wisdom from below that brings disorder. But secondly, point two, God gives wisdom from above. Verse 17 but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. What a contrast. What a contrast to what we were just talking about. That, that but of verse 17, it redirects our gaze to something Better And in light of the destruction that comes from earthly wisdom, how desirous is God's wisdom? How beautiful does it sound? That's what we want operating in our lives. One of the, one of the first Arctic explorations out of Britain ended in total disaster. So it was 1845. Sir John Franklin of the Royal Navy took 138 specially chosen officers and, and men, and they went to explore the Arctic, and their two ships were, were named Erebus, which means the dark place, and Terror, which I think that was just a bad move to begin with. Both ships had compartments to store an extra 12-day supply of coal, but instead of coal, they brought 1,200 books and an organ 
and 139 Victorian, very elegant place settings for every man on the boat. The only clothes they took were their uniforms and their Navy-issued greatcoats. So they, they boasted of the dignity and the elegance with which this trip would be executed, but because of their terrible under-preparedness, after they left the harbor, they were never seen again. And over the next couple of decades, uh, future explorers pieced together what happened to them by finding their trail uh, in different places in the Arctic. But on the tales of that terrible failure, that completely unwise failure, there began an exploration of the Arctic that had never before happened. Motivated by this failure, failure, they were motivated to do it better to go and explore better. The point is, when we see the disaster that that worldly wisdom produces in the church, it it motivates us to want to pursue godly wisdom, true wisdom, and the effects that it brings. James is holding out, this is something beautiful. This is something amazing. The list, it's pure and peaceable. Gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, all these things. Doesn't it, does it remind you of anything? We recently went through the book of Galatians, and in Galatians 5, there's the list of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Now, they're not word for word, but it's the same basic idea. And when you put these two lists together, what you, what you find is that basically what Paul claims in Galatians, what Paul claims the Spirit to produce, which is humility and peace and upright living, James claims that wisdom produces. Spirit and wisdom, they're not the same, but they're at work together. The Spirit gives wisdom. This wisdom comes from above, and it bears fruit in our lives. What an incredible gift. This is the opposite of the demonic and earthly and unspiritual wisdom of the world. This is something glorious. This is something beautiful. This is what wisdom from God will produce in our lives. Even the way James lays it out in the actual wording of the Greek makes it seem and appear beautiful. So first it's pure, meaning innocent, morally blameless. It has no secrets. It has no things to hide. It's honest. It produces action that is blameless and upright, well-intentioned. Really, the meaning, it's, what he's getting after is perfection. The wis- God is perfect, and wisdom that comes from him is perfect. And what it produces in our lives is it makes us more and more like him. That's the overarching effect of the wisdom from God. That's why James begins here. Now, it doesn't mean that we're perfect, what it means is that wisdom from above enables us to make decisions and live lives that actually please God. And in light of what we just talked about, that should be stunning. In light of the picture just given of, of what's natural, earthly wisdom, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, our natural sinful state, to be made able to please God with the wisdom he gives is, in, is amazing grace. This wisdom is pure. So, so does, that, does that sound like the wisdom you operate under in the different 
places in your lives, as you make decisions uh, at your workplace, as you make decisions in your relationships, does it lead to purity, uh, moral blamelessness? It can, by the Spirit. That's the fruit uh, that He bears in our lives. Now, the rest of these characteristics, they all come out of this description of purity. He groups the first three together. Peaceable, gentle, open to reason. Other translations read peace-loving or considerate or submissive. They contrast with strife and selfish ambition and boasting that marks worldly wisdom. So first, peaceable or peace-loving. This is one of the primary fruits of a genuine believer. One who knows God. Truly, one who is full of God's wisdom has a deep, abiding sense of well-being. Why? Because our greatest need has been met. The forgiveness of our sin in Christ. It produces peace. It's so important. Because peace is not only what we need in our hearts, it's what the community that James is writing to, it's what they need. It's what we need. It's what our world needs. I mean, who actually experiences peace Well, the people of God do. And that's what God's wisdom brings. It's what James is. It's holding out for us to discern these things. This is what the wisdom of God produces. Proverbs 3 says, all of wisdom's paths are peace. Wisdom leads to peace because it not only teaches us to trust in a sovereign and almighty and all-powerful God, it teaches us to also know that he's a generous, good, loving father who cares for us. That's where peace comes from. So would people say you're a peace lover? Would your friends and your family, would your coworkers say that you're a peace lover? You're one who loves peace? Would the other drivers on the interstate say you're a peace lover? Godly wisdom produces that in our lives. Godly wisdom, it's gentle or it's considerate as opposed to demanding or envious. It's open to reason. It's submissive. The translation here literally reads, easily persuaded. Now, I thought that was interesting. We can think that wisdom is stating our opinion and being right and being unmoved. But James says wisdom from above is submissive. Now, it doesn't mean gullible, uh, but it does mean a willing deference to others. Not when a clear theological or moral issue is at stake, but more generally, just a willingness to be persuaded, a teachability. It's humble. It's not needing to be right. It's not needing to be immovable in your position. Sometimes we can care more about being right than being wise. So are you easily persuaded, or do you think being easily persuaded is actually an insult to be that way? Or maybe you think you should be the one doing all the persuading. I, I just think God's at work saying this might be uh, coming out of worldly wisdom in our hearts. Truly wise people are easily persuaded. They're teachable. They're inclined to be taught. And we, we are in a bad place when we cannot be persuaded. We are in a bad place when we are not teachable. Show me someone who's teachable. And I'll sh- that's someone who's wise and who will continue to be wise. Wisdom from above, it's full of mercy. It's full of good fruit. It produces acts of of mercy. It it leads to action. You don't have to think long about what what full of mercy looks like. I think Marty 
and his wife Joni are full of mercy. I think the Pierce Community Group's full of mercy. Mercy, we just heard it. Full of mercy and good fruits. I think this church is full of people that are full of mercy and good fruits. And I think they're full of mercy because they're full of the wisdom of God. Knowing God, true wisdom from God, it does not lead to disorder and vileness and envy. It leads to mercy. It leads to genuinely loving one another. Not competing with one another, but loving one another. Caring for one another. Lastly, this wisdom is impartial and sincere. It's unwavering. It's undivided. It doesn't change based on the situation that it's in. It's sincere. It's honest. It's transparent. Those who are wise are trustworthy. Kind of like a, what you see is what you get with these folks. So, so this is the fruit of, of, of wisdom from above. So who is wise? Well, it's people who look like this. It's people who live sincere and godly and humble lives that bear fruit for God. But listen, James is not telling us this. He's not giving us this rubric just so that we can give awards out to wise people in our church. That, that's not the point. It is to help us discern true wisdom from worldly wisdom. But, but, but even more than that, this is what God wants to do in our lives. This is the thing that God wants to produce in our lives. He wants to give us this wisdom that he might bear this kind of fruit in our lives. He wants to encourage our faith. Do you need wisdom? God wants to give it. It's his desire to give it. And what happens? What happens when, when these people are, people like this are living together in the context of a church community and they're enjoying the blessing of God's wisdom? What happens? Well, it's verse 18, a harvest of righteousness. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The same, it brings a harvest of righteousness. Now, if you know anything about farming, you know a good harvest is just great reason for joy. My dad just yesterday was boasting about the crop that his farm has produced Sarah and I have six tomato plants, and we boast about the one tomato that it's already produced. But, but you know, a good harvest, it is reason for joy. And the same is true here. A harvest of righteousness is reaped, and it brings the community great peace. I think God's calling us just to humbly, humbly receive His wisdom and enjoy the peace that his wisdom brings. And, and as we go through this, do you see the heart of God? Because if we were left to ourselves and our, the, the sin of our hearts, we would only ever be selfishly ambitious. We would only ever experience bitter jealousy and it would only ever lead to disorder and every vile practice in our lives, in our community, in our relationships with one another, that would be all we would know because that's all we deserve because that's all we would be is envious and jealous and self-promoting. But God in his unfathomable mercy, 
He decides to give us wisdom. He decides to open our minds and our hearts and enable us to receive his wisdom. And the only reason that happens is because wisdom came down from above. God's wisdom condescended to us. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Jesus Christ became to us wisdom from God. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life full of wisdom. And he lived it in the place of the unwise like us. He came and revealed God to us. He lived in our place perfectly righteous. And then he died for our foolishness. He died for our wicked hearts. He took our sin upon himself in his death. And then he rose again so that we, united by faith to him, might actually receive his wisdom. Might actually have our minds and hearts open to know God and to experience his wisdom. That we might be enabled to live in a way that pleases him. It's grace from first to last. By his wisdom, he enables us to live in a way that pleases him, the God whom we had once offended. And he reaps a harvest of righteousness in our lives because he covers us in his own. He brings us out of our foolishness. He gives us the gift of his wisdom. He enables us to know him, and he bears fruit in our lives. And ultimately, he leads us to know and enjoy and live in the good of his peace. All in Christ. What grace. May we be freshly amazed at God's unbelievable kindness and mercy towards us. We who deserve lives of disorder and vileness, and yet who because of Jesus, we are invited to enjoy peace. That's what James is holding out for us. So let's ask the Lord for wisdom. And let's ask him, knowing full well, God loves to give it. God's desire is to bring about his wisdom in our lives. He proved it on the cross. He gave up his only son. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give you all things, including his wisdom, his heart of grace? It's our hope for change. So, so do you feel need for wisdom? Do you lack wisdom? If you feel that, I just want to encourage you. That's the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. Cry out for it and trust that God loves to give it. He's given us his word and he's given us his spirit. J.I. Packer in his book Knowing God says, God's work of giving wisdom is a means to his chosen end of restoring and perfecting the relationship between himself and human beings. The relationship for which he made them. For what is this wisdom that he gives? It is not a sharing in all his knowledge, but a disposition to confess that he is wise and to cleave to him and live for him in the light of his word through thick and thin. That's what we need. That's what we want in our lives, and that's what God can produce. So, if you're convicted about selfish ambition, envy in your hearts, just remember, you cannot simply tell yourself to stop. You cannot command yourself to stop. We are desperate for the grace of God, but he is pointing us to his grace. 
Because of Jesus Christ, we can face our sins square on. And we can trust that we need a Savior and that we have a Savior, one who makes us wise in Him. Wisdom comes down from above to those who don't deserve it. Isn't that good news? God's wisdom will bring us peace, both in our hearts and also in our church. That's God's desire for us. So let us humbly receive it and enjoy the gift that His wisdom is for our good and the glory of our loving Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, we have no good apart from You. And we just confess this morning that we need You. That, Lord, we, in ourselves, we are not wise. And so we pray for the gift of wisdom. Lord, we need wisdom uh, for all manner of different things. Lord, You know every need that is represented here this morning. You know every need. And Lord, I believe it is Your generous desire to give wisdom, that we might know you, that we might know your peace, that we, we might live in light of who you are, O oh Lord. So I pray, Lord, you'd protect us, uh, cause us to, to fight against uh, selfish ambition and envy in our hearts, and cause us to delight in you, Lord, and you alone, for you are worthy of our lives. Thank you for the gift of wisdom, Lord. It reminds us of the gift of your Son. And in him, we rejoice in knowing you, we pray. In his name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Zach Varnell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.